This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. We touched on this last week because this was on the agenda for the Police Services Board who met last week, and it has to do with body cameras. And it's become a very controversial subject, not just here in Hamilton, but in many other municipalities right now. Some groups are insisting that police should be wearing these things. Others suggest that it's really an American issue, and uh, it's an apples and oranges comparison between what's going on here and in many American cities. Others, well, look at things like cost and say, do we really need to be investing that kind of money on something like that? We want to get some uh, reaction from the people that are on the front lines who are there serving and protecting. Clint Twolin is the president of the Hamilton Police Association. He joins us here on the Bill Keller Show to give us his read on things. Clint, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today. Well, thanks for having me, Bill. Clint, before we get into the nuts and bolts of this issue, maybe we should set up uh, for the sake of our listeners here, the scenario, because I know that there was a committee that was looking into this that included, as I understand it, uh, members of the administration, the police administration from the uh, police services board, but also some uh, some members of the uh, police services as well. Yeah, um, I mean, the actual study itself, or the I guess the committee, um, we're not part of it as an association right now anyway. I mean, if it was something that they were moving towards, we'd certainly want to be more active in it, but I think right now they're just looking at the, you know, the the prospects and evaluating whether or not it would work here in Hamilton. Well, and and on that point, let's let's talk a little bit about that, about your perspective and maybe the association's perspective on this as well, because uh, we had some interesting comments from members of the police services board. Some insisting that this is something that they really should be getting into, and you've heard the feedback from many community uh, members, uh, Clint, over the last few years, especially. Uh, because of some of the incidents that have occurred here in Hamilton, that this is something that's inevitable, something that police services here in Hamilton have to get into. What, what's your read on that? Well, I think to, to begin, I can tell you I'm neither for nor against them. Um, I think that they have the pros and their cons. Uh, if if they were implemented, it certainly wouldn't be something that the association would oppose. I, I truly do believe that um, body-worn cameras are going to help my members in most, if not all, cases. I think there's always going to be cases where, um, you know, that the, the, um, the outcome is going to be demonstrated in a much more uh, clear and effective manner. I mean, uh, it, it's come up, actually, I believe it came up the other day at the Police Services Board meeting, the incident involving the city councillor. I think that that would have helped our officers immensely, um, to be brutally honest with you. Um, it, you know, it, it's one of those things that uh, um, we wouldn't oppose. I think that uh, in most cases it's going to be positive for the officers. It's going to support their uh, their narrative. And um, I, I just think that, uh, and I'm sure we can talk about it, but the cost is probably one of the biggest uh, factors that uh, would come into play. Interesting. I was talking to a former police officer about this a couple of days ago, and uh, he equated this to uh, the controversy uh, of, of, you know, they were going to put instant replay into baseball. And and I'm not trying to belittle what's going on with police officers, because oftentimes you guys are facing life and death situations. But it was uh, some people were supportive of that because they thought, aha, now we're going to catch those guys and find out just what a crappy job they do. And you find out that 99.9% of the time they're right. Uh, and he says the same thing's going to happen if they put body cameras on cops. You're going to find that 99.9% of the time they get it right. Now, I don't know about percentages, et cetera, like this, but the number of officers I've talked to in police services right now are, are expecting the same sort of opinion as you are, that, you know what, bring it on. It's not going to hurt us. Well, and, and to be brutally honest, Bill, across this country right now, I can tell you as a supervisor of frontline police officers, the one thing that we talk about is expect to be filmed at every at every incident. You every almost minute. are now anyway, aren't you? 
that's exactly it. It's not going to change our behavior by having um, a camera uh, attached to our lapel. We're going to continue to be uh, professional and we're going to act according to the rules and, uh, and, and the parameters that are set out for us. It won't change the way we behave. Um, I suspect, if anything, it'll change the way the public behaves. Well, and we saw that. I think the example I used a couple of years ago was uh, when Officer Morelli was uh, doing a takedown at a, a East Mountain location. This is what three, four years ago. You know, you're familiar yep. with the situation. And somebody yep. filmed it with their camera. Uh, the, the one, I guess, it was actually one of the friends of the uh, the perpetrator that was being arrested at that time. And and I I suggested at the time I said they should show that at the police colleges as the way to actually handle the public and and a very dicey situation like that. I mean it was a, a, a I think an, an excellent example of how police work and under very trying circumstances like this, oftentimes with people on the sidelines chiding them and and and, and giving them all sorts of grief, etc. Like this, and the officer I thought handled himself very well. Yeah, absolutely, and and you're absolutely right that that is the model. But I'll be honest with you. Our, that's the way our officers behave all the time. Uh, there's always the odd exception where you know they lose their temper or or something along that line. But uh, in the vast majority of cases, that's exactly how um, our officers uh, respond and react. And you know, it once again, that's that's not the exception. That's the norm as to how our officers behave. And what I can tell you is, uh, when you see you know these video clips of uh, any officer misbehaving which when you're looking at the millions and millions of calls across North America, in, you know, in Hamilton we're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 350,000 calls a year. Uh, the, the ones that make it to YouTube uh, are few and far between, but I can guarantee you that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of interactions between the police and the public that are filmed that never make it there. And the reason they never make it to, to YouTube or otherwise is because the officers are being professional. How reliable are these things, though? I mean, in your experience, I know you can't give us a definitive word. I don't think anybody can at this stage right now. But, I mean, we've seen situations in, in, in trials and, and, and other controversies and investigations, Clint, where the uh, the camera cacks out at the most inopportune time or it's not turned on or something happens. And it's it's like cell phone reception and everything else. I mean, it's technology, and technology is not always reliable. Well, I, I mean, I have gone to conferences and had experts uh, do, do um, uh, speeches and, and whatnot on this, and that's probably, in all honesty, one of the shocking things that I found is, uh, you know, you expect that if, if somebody's wearing a body-worn camera that you're going to get a, a full, frank and fair and complete picture, when in fact that's not the case. Um, you know, video is not perfect. Audio is not perfect. Timing is another issue that comes up. Do you know? Do you have those those cameras rolling for a 12-hour shift, or do you only turn them on when you think you're going to need them? And then in those cases, you don't think you're going to need it, and you do, and now it looks like you're hiding something. There's a lot of factors like that, and and I I agree with what, what you're suggesting that it, that. In many cases, the, the the actual video footage is not going to be exactly what we're looking for anyway. And, and therein lies part of the problem. And I guess there's even more basic element to this as well, is that the camera is only going to uh, record what the camera's looking at. Uh, and that may or may not be a, 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 an accurate description of the scene in, in any given situation. Absolutely. And... Um, you know, when you're looking at use of force incidents, which in many cases is 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 what this uh, narrative is directed at, uh, I've I've been in enough um, um, use of force incidents where 
the camera is going to catch very little of it, to be brutally honest with you. There's going to be those, you know, those perfect situations where the camera is pointed uh, at the right place at the right time, and uh, it's going to get the exact picture that people are looking for. But in most cases, it's it's going to, um, you know, the, the camera is not designed to have a full panoramic view or anything like that. They're very directed. So, you, you know, the 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 ability to get exactly what the people are hoping that they are going to get is uh, few and far between. Are the expectations too high for this, Clint? I mean, are, are, is the public looking at this and saying, oh, yeah, this will be just like watching a, a cop show on television. You'll be able to get a whole picture as to exactly what was going on. And, and clearly the technology is not there to be able to to have that happen. I think the expectation is very high. I think that people, um, most certainly, you know, the the people driving this narrative and 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 pushing for the the, the cameras are, are certainly giving a picture that is not completely accurate. I mean, even if you look at any of the the television shows that have a, a, an actual film crew um, following uh, the officers around, whether it's this new one, live PD, or whether it's cops, uh, when they're running after somebody or certain incidents you're only catching a fraction of what's actually going on. So uh, I think that, yes, that, that the, what, what the end product would be is not going to be in line with people's expectations. And, and with that in mind, then, obviously, the, 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 those that are thinking this is going to be the definitive tool to try to determine exactly what went right or what went wrong in any given situation are going to be sadly disappointed. It's a tool, but I, I, don't, I don't know of any police service that can actually classify this as the definitive tool. Well, you're absolutely right, and it comes at a high cost, and that's probably the biggest issue. I mean, if they were all free, and uh, you know the the systems worked to perfection, then the the discussion would probably be uh, a little less um, controversial right now. But that's not the way it works. It comes at a huge cost. There's issues about privacy. There's issue about issues about storage. Um, there's issues about training. There's so many issues that go along with it. And when you look at a cost-benefit analysis, uh, you know, it, it, the police leaders have certainly got to put that into mind when they're looking at doing their budget and wondering whether or not they can afford the, you know, the cost that's going to be associated with it. What about the parameters? You, you've looked in and you've talked to other services that use these things, and some on pilot projects, others, of course, have already implemented them right now. But is there a protocol, Clint, as to when you turn them on, when you turn them off? I mean, you, you know, we go to a call if it's a domestic dis- disturbance. Uh, I've talked to some lawyers that said, look, if you walk into somebody's house during a domestic disturbance and have that on, you're running into privacy issues right now, and that stuff may not be admissible in court, which would override, I guess, people's desire to see everything and anything that goes on. Well, you're absolutely right. Privacy is a huge issue. And first and foremost, if you look at the public, um, you know, you come into a private residence, probably the parameters and what I'm understanding in other jurisdictions is you have to ask the homeowners whether or not you're allowed to actually uh, activate the film. Um, you, the, the system would just be completely overburdened if you were going to be filming for a full 12-hour shift. So there's going to have to be pro- uh, policies on when you turn them on and when you don't. And that's kind of predictive in that you know what the outcome is going to be, and that's not the nature of this profession. It's uh, it's more predicated on on unpredictability. To be honest with you, um, you know it, it, the the parameters that are set out would have to be internally done by the the service it, it, itself. So, you know, these things are different issues that come up. You know, privacy again. You've got to look at the officer's privacy as well. I I would put it to anybody out there that. 
um, you put yourself in a police officer's shoes when they go to work. Uh, how would you feel personally about having to wear a camera around as you do your daily duties? I, I, I get the, the difference that we are, you know, we are a public service and we are uh, more accountable, but at the same time, there's issues that the, the officers have as well for privacy. What about cost? Let's talk a little bit about that. And I know that that may not be a priority for a lot of people, but that's the financial reality. I mean, in the United States, as we mentioned the other day on the program, Clint, uh, many of the jurisdictions that have adopted the use of uh, body cameras, actually a, a good deal of the money from that is paid for by the federal government. We don't do that up in the side of the border on the 49th here. It's uh, up to each municipality. Uh, we're told that it's at least a million dollars, I mean, to, to try to implement a number of these. And I don't know that we didn't necessarily include every officer actually getting one of these things right now. And that becomes part of the police service budget, which goes on to the tax base. And that, that's got to be part of the discussion, whether you like it or not. It has to be a significant part of the discussion because, you know, uh, the police budget is always under scrutiny, and all of their, it, it, we're always looking at ways to be more lean. And I can tell you, in Hamilton, uh, we can't get any more lean than we are right now. In fact, I, I'd rather see that money go to, you know, frontline police officers. We need more officers on the street. That's that's what we need, um, and, and that would be a huge part of the discussion. Um, and again, it comes back to that cost-benefit analysis and whether or not it's actually worth it if you're looking at what we do and, uh, you know, where we need to spend that money. I certainly think that this, this is going to be a big problem. I mean, I mean, I've got a hypothetical situation. If, if the city would like to set up a different budget and pay for it completely out of the city budget as opposed to the police budget, again, that, you know, I think, I think after, uh, a certain amount of time, it would be reevaluated as far as effectiveness and whether or not you're getting, you know, what what you're looking for, your money's worth. Like every other technology, though, we know that it's going to get less expensive as time goes on. They're going to improve this as they do just about everything else. Uh, so it, the, the affordability issue may be addressed at some point in the future, but do you get the sense that there's a, an inevitability that this is going to happen? It's just a matter of when? Well, I, I mean, the hardware end of it, you're right. Uh, you know, the, the the technology is always improving and it's always getting cheaper, but that's not where I think we're going to see our, our biggest costs. It's going to come from the, the, the retention of this data, the storage, the distribution, whether you're looking at freedom of information or whether you're looking at, you know, public complaints. Uh, the OIPRD under the current system, and the legislation is going to be um, uh, changing this slightly, it's six months uh, that you can make a complaint to the OIPRD. So that's one example of uh, any interaction where it's being um, videoed by the police officer, it's going to have to be retained for the, a minimum of six months. And in many cases, to be honest, it over that because the OIPRD will t- take complaints after that. So, I, I mean, and inevitability, I suppose, I, I do see it coming down the road at some point, um, but we can't really lose focus on where the real costs are. It's not the actual uh, cameras themselves. And the storage has actually got a lot cheaper as well when you store it to the cloud. But the the truth of the matter is, how do you retain it and at what cost and what is the distribution as far as the public goes? Clint Wallen, uh, President of Hamilton Police Association. Clint, thanks as always for the time. Great to have you on the program today. Thanks for having me on. Take care. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Diversity. We like to see that reflected in our community. I mean, this is a diverse culture, and we celebrate that, and we should. That's wonderful. But are we doing a good enough job trying to reflect that diversity in, well, something like police services? 
Uh, well, to that end, Hamilton Police will be holding a second recruiting event at a local mosque uh, later this week, uh, just in time for the force to uh, actually start to spread their word and hopefully spread uh, the idea and maybe interest in joining police services. Joining us to talk about this is Cameron Body, who is a, a director with the Muslim Association here in Hamilton, and always a welcome guest on the program. Cameron, good to hear from you again. How you been doing? I'm doing very well, thanks, Bill. How are you doing? Good, good. Good to have you with us on the program today. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about this idea and, and a noble goal, I think, from police services to try to increase diversity on Hamilton Police Services right now. Uh, from your perspective, what's what's your take on this? Has it been an effective program so far? I, I think it has. Um, you know, these kinds of discussions we started more than 10 years ago with the Hamilton Police Services when uh, the community was, was considerably considerably more immature than it is today uh, in, in terms of uh, its knowledge of what the police services is and how to apply for jobs. And we would say, hey, why haven't you hired anybody? And they would respond and say, look, you, you haven't applied. <laughs> so we say, okay, you know what, we understand that we need to apply, we need to do our time, and uh, we're going to get these jobs and we're going to progress up through the ranks uh, of the Hamilton Police Services. Now, more than 10 years later, uh, I would say that it's a, it's, it's a good program. It hasn't been great. Uh, I know personally of uh, two Muslims uh, that are uh, part of the Hamilton Police Services. Um, but when we look at uh, the higher levels, I don't think that there's, anybody from from diverse backgrounds uh, above those first two of the seven levels of policing uh, in Hamilton. Now, when you contrast that to some of the other local communities here, we can look no further than Toronto, where you have Mark Saunders, a police chief from a racial minority community. You know, these are the types of results that we're hoping for uh, from these types of recruitment events. Uh, within the next 10 years, we, we'd love to see uh, people from, from all sorts of different communities rising up the ranks of the Hamilton Police Service. Well, and I think a lot of us would. And, and I know that the numbers, well, depending on which numbers you look at, would bear that out. There was a, a CBC report, and I'm sure you saw this from Cameron a couple of years ago, uh, that compared the diversity in Hamilton, the, that's the, the general population, uh, and they uh, they said the city's population was about 17.7% diverse, according to the census data that they received. And they said when they checked police services, that was 17.2% diverse, which is actually one of the highest ratios in, in the country. But I don't see that on the street. I, I don't see that in the administration. And, and, and you know, this is where I think... Um, these types of recruitment events are, are a learning opportunity for, for people like me, the, the common civilian who thinks that all the jobs in the Hamilton Police Service mean that you're kicking down doors. But my, my suspicion is that that's certainly not the case. I mean, when we do a, a quick scan of the, of the jobs that have been posted uh, over the last year with the Hamilton Police Services, you find that they are looking for communications directors. They're looking for, uh, you know, uh, the, the operators to handle the, the phone calls. They're looking for administration staff. So perhaps I'm thinking that within those other roles and those other positions within the Hamilton Police Services, uh, that is where the, the diversity uh, may be ref uh, a bit more uh, reflected. On the streets, 
I, I would tend to agree with you, Bill, that uh, it's not as visible uh, as perhaps may be the case. And, and therein lies the problem, as far as I can see, and, and as far as the discussions I've heard with many uh, of, of the, the various groups in this community, it's that street uh, presence right now that, that, uh, that members of those communities look for uh, members of their community in police services. I mean, when and if they need somebody like this. Uh, I'm not suggesting that. Well, you know, uh, you know, you're, this is a Muslim, or this was uh, somebody, and they wanted a, a Muslim officer necessarily. But you like to see that diversity reflected. Uh, that they're there on the street and they can talk to them, and that there's a comfort level. I think we all know that the elephant in the room here is within certain elements of our community, of all diverse groups right now. There's a certain mistrust in some circles with policing, and the best way I think to bridge that is is to to bring people together within that service. You know, it, it's it, it's remarkable. I was listening to your to your last uh, guest that you had on, and you're talking about body cameras. And when you when you look throughout the world at some of these countries that at least I can speak for the Muslim communities, some of the countries that people come from, there is uh, absolutely no trust with the police services there. The idea or the notion of having body cameras to improve the integrity uh, of the police services is unheard of. That would be that would be a, a miracle in, in in some of these countries. The, the horror stories that I've heard of from some of the nations around the world and the, and the, and the local police services um, are astounding. And quite frankly, I'm not surprised that some of, the, some of the, these, these uh, minority communities uh, within the Muslim community are, are hesitant to apply for police services because what they've seen in their countries is is practically corruption, where, uh, you know, the, the police services are more or less an extension of, you know, perhaps dictatorial regimes who will go out and arrest uh, civilians on the street for, for no reason, uh, but that the, the you know, the, the government of the day or the go- government of the time doesn't agree with a particular individual. So now you have these people in these communities here in, in, in Hamilton, in, in Ontario, in Canada, and we're saying, why don't you guys apply for a job in the police services? And they're looking around saying, I, I, I don't know. I don't think that's a career for me. And that's why we need to have these types of recruitment sessions and have these open information sessions about the roles that are available in organizations like the Hamilton Police Service. Now, what's unique about the event that we're going to be having at the Mountain Mosque uh, on Wednesday, November the 29th, is that it's not only going to include the Hamilton Police Services, but it will also include the the fire department, paramedics, uh, the EMS, uh, RCMP, and OPP. So there's going to be this wide variety of, of positions and jobs in different levels of not only law enforcement, but public service, public service here uh, in, in, in Hamilton and in the country. And I think that's what's going to hopefully open some eyes to members of our community uh, to, to, to seeing that there are different roles and, and that they themselves are going to be able to uh, position themselves into one of these uh, services and really excel and show the, the tremendous talents 
that we have uh, amongst the communities here in Hamilton. And I was going to use the phrase destroy the myths that exist, but in many people's minds, I think you're absolutely right, Cameron, they're not myths. They, they, they can give you scripture and verse about corruption within police services in some of the countries from which they originated. And, and obviously that's going to color their, their, their idea about exactly what police are all about and, and how trusted they can be in situations like this. But I'd like to think that from a generational standpoint, as, as, as generations you know from, from those ethnic groups start to come here and, and you know, they have kids and those kids are going to say, well, okay, that's, that's how my grandfather felt about it, but I don't see that happening here. I, I, to that point, that gives, I think, more onus on the, the police services and fire and all the others that you just talked about, all the emergency services, to get that story out here and to try to sh- say, that, look, at, it is different over here. Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right, Bill. Um, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, not, it's not lost on us that obviously we have a large newcomer population. Their children are hearing the stories of, of uh, you know, the countries back home. But you're absolutely right. As these generations uh, continue to grow, um, younger kids, younger, uh, you know, community kids are coming up saying, you know what? I wouldn't mind a, a job in, in law enforcement. I wouldn't mind to have a job in the, in the police services. And, but it, again, it's, it's a matter of uh, bringing them into the fold, letting them learn about the process. It's not uh, you know, one of these typical job applications, for instance, with the police services where you just apply, you have a, uh, an interview, and they pick the best candidate. But there is an involved process with the Hamilton Police Services. There's uh, background checks that are done. There's uh, psych evaluations. There's a physical component to it. And so there are you know, some of these layers and steps that somebody would have to go through if they wanted to be uh, a, a constable, for instance. I think these types of information sessions are going to bring those things to light. Uh, the same thing goes for, for the fire services and, and, and paramedic EMS services. I, I'll be the first one to admit that I'm completely ignorant of, of what the processes are in order to become a member of, of, one, of these, one of these services. And I'm looking forward to learning more uh, about the different types of roles uh, that there are. Look, personally, I'm a software engineer. I'm a computer geek. <laughs> and and so, so the idea of... Uh, running around of 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 working with uh, you know live bodies and humans that's that is something that I think are, are for for brave people. I work with computers, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but there are going to be people out there who are going to say this is the type of job that I want to I want to work with people. I want to save lives, and and we're hoping that we're able to attract uh, you know the, those types of people now. Here, here becomes a challenge, Bill. Recruitment is, is great. Having these types of events is fantastic. But what we also, like you said, you know, what we want to see is we want to see those hirings happen. Yeah. That we want to see that process go from recruitment to hiring, and it doesn't stop somewhere in the middle. So that it's just kind of left in this vacuum that said, hey, we did these diversity uh, recruitment sessions. Okay, well, what, what was the result? Uh, and so I think that's what we want to see come out of the, these types of events. We had a great event uh, back in March at the Ibrahim Mosque uh, on, on King Street. Lots of community members came out. And that's another thing to note, is that this isn't for the Muslim communities. This is an open public event where the venue just happens to be the Hamilton Mountain Mosque. 
everybody is invited to come in and who knows, maybe, maybe their next job is going to be with one of these services. But we had a great event on the, at the Ibrahim Mosque where many community members uh, from, from around the downtown core came into the mosque. They, they had this opportunity to speak to the uh, Hamilton Police Services uh, recruitment uh, officials. And, and you know, they, I think it was one of the m- most well-attended uh, recruitment drives that they've had. So we're hoping for similar results uh, next Wednesday here at the Mountain Mosque um, with, with all these other services uh, also present. I'm sure that some of the people listening to this right now have this sense of deja vu because I'm sure this same discussion uh, went on years ago when it came to women in the workplace in the, in the emergency services and uh, first responder services like this too, to get more women involved uh, in police services and firefighting and, uh, and of course, uh, with uh, ambulance as well and uh, uh, with paramedics, uh, and that's been an ongoing uh, discussion, and 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 we're tracking that too. And 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 you know, when we talk about diversity, especially when it comes into administrative roles, I don't think we're where we want to be there either. I mean, we've had, I guess, uh, a, a few female uh, superintendents at that level of policing right now, but deputy chiefs, chief of police, etc., like this, uh, we're not at that stage where other communities are right now. And I think that's something that we should aspire to. You know, it's not only about uh, the the ethnic diversity, but you're absolutely right. We need we need more 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 female representation. We need to have people from the LGBT uh, to, uh, Q communities. We need to have uh, people from from racialized minority communities. It's about that makeup of our community that the people that we see walking around when we go to Limeridge Mall or where if we're at Eastgate, the this is our community. And these are the people that we want to see reflected in our public services. Um, and, and you're right. Look, we, we've got seven levels uh, in the Hamilton Police Services. And you're right, D- uh, chief, deputy chief. Uh, we're looking at staff sergeants, sergeants. Um, we're not seeing that, that diversity or that, the makeup uh, uh, in those levels. So, again, these types of events are open to everybody, and we certainly hope that uh, we get a ton of people coming. We've got a lot of space at the mosque. Uh, we certainly hope that lots of people come out, have those, in, have those discussions, ask those questions about what it takes to be a member of uh, the RCMP or the OPP or the Hamilton Police Services, put in those applications, get the training that they need, go out and get those jobs and, 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 and show that, uh, that, that diversity and show that talent. Because I know for a fact there are tremendously talented people all around us every day. And I'm convinced that if they just had that little bit of a nudge or that, that opportunity to come in and have a discussion with, with somebody who's knowledgeable about the process, uh, to to be hired within the police services, I think they would say, you know what, this is an opportunity for me. You know, if if it's a question of age, let's say, let's say the average age of a constable uh, is 27. Well, that 22 year old or the 20 year old will come in and say, okay, I know what I need to do for the next, you know, five or seven years to become a constable. But the but. Again, at the same time, that 22-year-old isn't coming in there saying, hey, what, why don't I have this job yet? I'm, I've, I've met all the criteria, but 
You know, so these types of information uh, sharing, I think, uh, is, is something that's, that's extremely important. Now, the advantage, of course, of having these types of diverse uh, uh, workforces is that you, you have this opportunity to have this, this organic uh, environment of collaboration and learning. You know, you when when you when you see the unfortunate incidents that you know sometimes take over the the news cycles, like what happened with uh, our counselor Matthew Green, um, and the unfortunate carding incidents that he went through. I think that when you have that type of diversity reflected again, and you have those organic conversations, I think matters like that may be mitigated. Um, and 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 well, it's it's a win-win situation, with, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's good. Absolutely. It's good for the for the diverse communities. It's good for police services. It's good for the greater community too, because it instills trust. That's right. Absolutely. And 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 just like you said, you know, when when somebody from the community is looking out and seeing a police officer visibly on the streets that reflects the 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 backgrounds that they as an individual might uh, might might ascribe to. It, it builds that trust, and trust is the most important thing. And just like your, your, your previous guest said it, 99.9% of the time, the officers are getting it right anyways. But those aren't the stories that hit the news cycles, right? Um, so, so building that trust is paramount. And the way that we're going to be able to build that trust uh, amongst the community members is to come out, have these open dialogues, be transparent in the in the in, in the process, and and answer those questions because there are people out there who who may have applied in the past to the police services, exactly. who may not have gotten that job, and and they're saying, well, what happened? Why didn't I get that job? What was the process? What did I miss? And these types of information sessions are going to be able to at least uh, you know clear the those those muddy waters a little bit. To, to show, hey, listen, you know what? All it was was this one element of your application. Apply again, and let's go through that process again and, and get the people of Hamilton hired in, in, in our Hamilton Police Services. It's going to be next Wednesday. That's November 29th, 6 till 9 at the Hamilton Mountain Mosque. That's in the Stone Church Road. It's right across the road from Carmen's Banquet Center, which everybody knows. Cameron, great initiative. Uh, all the best. I hope it's an overwhelming success, and we'll stay in touch. I appreciate this today. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure, Bill. Thank you. Take care. Cameron Batty, of course, uh, Director for the Muslim Association of Hamilton. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Hamilton's attempt at uh, the Amazon bid. Now, we had Chris Murray, the city manager, on here. The mayor, Fred Eisenberger, has talked about this at great length. Uh, we're not the only ones bidding on this, though. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's great to say, hey, you can't stop us, etc., etc., etc. But uh, we need to be realistic about this as well. Joining us to talk about that is Steve Howes, who is, uh, of course, uh, adjunct professor at the DeGroote School of Business of McMaster. He is the president of Millington and & Associates. And uh, first of all, good to see you again. Thanks yeah, for thank getting you. you in here. You've been traveling all over the country on business, so we haven't been able to hook up with you for the last little while. But uh, we got you back at home base right now. And you, you can speak with some great knowledge about this because you were involved in, in the Toronto uh, bid for this, weren't you? Yes, I'm on the board of uh, Toronto Global, which is the entity that's funded by all three levels of government to drive foreign direct investment into Canada. So that's its mandate. Okay, let's talk at, at the most elementary level about this. 
everybody's getting hopped up on this and saying, my God, this is going to be great. Amazon's going to come to our city. Uh, everything is going to be fine. Uh, children will be dancing in the park. Birds will be singing. The sky will always be blue. And the economy will just be wonderful. Are, are we setting the expectations just a little bit too high? Uh, definitely. Um, the goal is to really put ourselves on the map with Amazon, and we've achieved that. Uh, the bid that went in, and you can see it online, and, and people of, of Hamilton and listeners need to understand that we put a bid in for the region. And so the idea being a company of that size and how they operate, they don't build towers, they don't go into areas and create campuses, they go into existing buildings, they don't like putting their name up on the building. It's a very much an integration philosophy, and they were looking for a very diverse community to join, which would allow for people to have different lifestyles, different quality of life issues, etc. But we're competing with the states. And so this is a American head office company looking for their second head office in North America. And they have not discounted that being in the U.S. They just have discounted that it would not be on the West Coast, that they were going to come east for sure. Okay, how, how, how west is West Coast? Well, Because uh, I know that, uh, that places like Denver and other places are like that too. Now, does, does that preclude them? Because, well, Seattle, Denver, uh, are they looking to actually create some geographic space? Absolutely. And so I don't think anybody was told they couldn't bid, yeah. uh, but they were very clear of what they were trying to do. And there are a lot of places is one thing we do in Canada, and we're very proud of, of what we've done, is we've put no financial incentives in place. It's all about the quality of the people, the education, the access to language, the access to schools. We know very clearly that there are states that are putting tax-free benefits on the table, pay no tax for 10 years, things like that. That's a reality of attracting businesses in the U.S., and it's something we have to be aware of that we're competing with. Is that going to be a factor, though? I mean, does Amazon look at that and say, oh, that's cute. Uh, we don't really need that. Well, I think that's a fair statement that they don't need it, uh, but they are a publicly traded company, and they would have to explain to their shareholders why they chose location A and are going to pay full taxes and everything else when location B met the criteria as well, and they wouldn't have to because that's taking money out of the shareholder's pocket. But again, when, when we look at this, what we wanted to do is put our best foot forward uh, for Canada and for the region, and I think we did that. I think we were very successful. The feedback has been fantastic. The exposure, our team was down in New York just last week on, on one of our uh, missions, and uh, the the amount of media attention we, we received uh, throughout New York was incredible. And so that alone is attracting businesses to the Canadian marketplace and looking at foreign direct investment. I look at this sometimes, Steve, and I'm wondering if this has kind of made us go back in time just a little bit to when we kept thinking, well, Hamilton's biggest competitor is Toronto or Burlington or Kitchener-Waterloo, because and, and, there was that time yep. when we, we had to compete with that. And w then we got, I think, smarter and, and, and looked at it and said, no, 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 no. All boats rise with high tide. If it comes to this area, we're all going to be good. But now all of a sudden we're competing against each other again. Well, yes and no. Um, the Toronto, Toronto Global actually represents Halton, Durham, Toronto, Mississauga, Vaughan. So it is 
all-encompassing of the region, uh, including Burlington, up to the Hamilton border. And uh, for various uh, reasons, which I'm sure were sound, uh, Hamilton did not participate with the, the structuring of, of the group. Were so, they invited to? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but it doesn't matter because when people get jobs, they live where they want to live. And it's if you're attracting jobs into the marketplace with foreign direct investment, it's about understanding not just that we're going to create job opportunities, but these people are going to need homes. These people are going to go to restaurants. These people are going to be in the community. So there might be somebody, say the office turns out to be in Mississauga, many people might choose to live in Hamilton and Burlington and commute for quality of life reasons, for other reasons. And people who live here uh, existing will certainly be applying for jobs. And there, as we know, there's many people who live in the city of Hamilton that work in a, someplace else. And so it's all about creating opportunity in the region for growth and for business. Let's talk about the, the spill out from that then. Let's, and let's follow your scenario. Okay, let's say they, they go to Mississauga someplace, just around the Highway 10 there. And that's where again, their offices are going to be. It's, and it's it's not a building. This is this is an enterprise that's moving in here. Yes. What about the spill-off effects? I mean, KW and, and to a certain extent Hamilton, although we're still in our infancy, have developed some tech expertise here right now. Uh, do we benefit from that, even though the, the head office, so to speak, is going to be 25, 30 kilometers away? Absolutely. When we put the, uh, the region's bid in, uh, both KW and Hamilton were included and in the discussion and in the maps and uh, the schools that were listed included McMaster. And, and so we didn't put a bid in for Toronto. We put a bid in for the region. We actually expanded beyond the scope of the geographic area we represent. And the mayors, et cetera, and uh, chairs of the, of the other communities fully supported that. They said, let's put our best foot forward. Let's talk about the region in general and let people know the great schools, the great people, the access to language, the access to different uh, levels of education that, that we provide. And that's really the strength of this marketplace. It's the diversity of people. And that was a critical element uh, for the Amazon folks. Again, they're not looking to build buildings. They want to move into existing buildings. And they don't want to be in one building. They want to be in a whole bunch of them. And so that's the plan. Who's their workforce? And, and do we match up with the criteria that they would be setting? I mean, you mentioned that, that, for instance, McMaster was included in this. Well, between U of T and McMaster, you've got two of the top 50 universities in the world, according to the latest rankings right yeah. now. That, that's got to have some cred. As well as Western and Waterloo. Sure. And uh, Guelph is a fantastic university. You've got um, the colleges in the area as well uh, that have a very... All with very di diverse very disciplines. Very specialized programs. All relate to the many different areas. Amazon is a pretty all-encompassing company. They, they do everything. And so for them to come into our region, they'll be accessing people from all over if, if we're successful. But in, and this is my personal opinion, if the worst case scenario is we are now on Amazon's map, we get all this attention globally because we make the short list and they decide to locate something else here, maybe not the headquarters, but we end up getting a few thousand employees in, in this region, that's a phenomenal win for 
Canada and for this marketplace. Um, this is a highly competitive situation. Everybody is chasing this very hard, but we have certainly put our best foot forward. The other element to this, as, as I see it anyway, is that they're not the only player. I mean, they're a huge player, make no mistake about it. But but there are other tech companies out there that, that are paying attention to who's bidding and what they have to offer. Absolutely, and, and we made the bid public. And so there's, there's a lot of, we're getting a lot of interest. Like I said, we just had our team down in New York, and uh, virtually everybody we met with down there had read the Amazon proposal. And so it's garnering attention that people just are not aware how much this region has to offer. And it's important when we get on an airplane and we go to Sweden and, and we're talking to companies that do not operate in North America, they're looking at, they know what Canada is and they know what Toronto is. That's why it's in the name, but they don't even know the word Ontario. And so we spend a lot of time educating them, but the message they're getting is quality of life and opportunity and great access to people. And we're getting tremendous feedback. And our funnel is actually quite large of brand new companies that want to invest in Canada. Well, the possibilities here seem to be limitless. I mean, let's develop a scenario where Amazon says, ah, we've chosen Dallas. Sorry, guys. Mm -hmm. All right. But then you get a call six weeks later or three, six days later from the, the, the Acme company over in, in Germany and said, hey, uh, we saw your bid. Uh, we should have coffee. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen. That's that's happening every day. That is uh, the hundreds of companies we are speaking to on on a daily basis uh, that we report into uh, the three levels of government that we've made contact with to drive new direct investment into the region. And so that that was already happening. This just put it on steroids. It's just such a global bid, and it's recognized by so many parties that it's really put Canada on the map and put this region on the map in a way that it probably would have taken us a year or two of promotional work of flying around the world and, and talking to people. This couldn't have happened at a better time uh, with uh, Toronto Global launching in uh, January of this year. Do they pay attention to the stats that we talk about here, uh, Hamilton uh, being named as, as one of the most diverse economies in the country over the last couple of years uh, from a manufacturing and tech standpoint, that uh, that we don't have all our eggs in one basket, that we're developing that expertise. Uh, we, we're proud of that. Are they aware of it, and does it matter to them? The bid is very data-centric. There, There is a lot of factual data in there on diversity, on language, on education. They were very clear on what the criteria was, and Richard Florida, who sits on the board with me, um, was was a great asset and and drawing on his uh, faculty team to help pull together the the data and the information that we required for this. So, yes, it was incredibly important to them. And it's not anecdotal and it's not about what we're building or hoping to do. It's fact about what exists today. One of the things that Richard Florida became quite famous for, of course, over the last number of years was was that marriage between uh, business acumen uh, and quality of life. Yes. Uh, talk to us about the bid and, and how that checks those boxes. Well, again, it was the focus on that if you're going to put your uh, second head office somewhere, 
it needs to be a place where they want to raise their families, where they, they want to get their children educated, where they will enjoy a lifestyle where they love the restaurants and the vacations. And if you're a hiker or if you're a biker or if you're somebody who wants to see a great sports franchise like the Toronto Maple Leafs, of course, it allows... You put them in the bid, didn't you? I, of course, we had to because <laughs> it could have been... What are we going to talk oh, about, the Boston Bruins? That <laughs> just enhanced Hamilton. Chances. But anyway, <laughs> I, dig- I digress. Right. So that is uh, such an important element. And that's why we are really proud of, of the tender that we put in because there is so much to offer from a lifestyle standpoint. And and they came here. Like, this was not just fill out the forms. They came. They toured. They understand. Uh, they have subsequently done deep, deep dives. We get tracking on how many Amazon employees look at the bid and go through the data and how much time they're spending on it, and it's significant. What's the time frame? I mean, they tell us that within a year or so they're going to try to, uh, to call this down and then narrow things down just a little bit. Yeah. Are, are we going to make the first cut? Are we going to be in the running? Um, and by that, I mean southern Ontario. What, what's the timing? We have no idea. They, they have not been clear as to what the next step is going to be. Um, they, they wanted to find out what the levels of interest were. Um, we are communicating with them regularly. It's not a closed process, so there still is open uh, communications ongoing. Again, first goal is, is to make the short list and uh, to be considered amongst the, uh, of the, God, I bet you they got 50 applications, if not more, uh, to make it down to that to that short list because that alone would give us tremendous exposure. Uh, of course, the ultimate goal is to win, but uh, it's it's a battle. Got about a minute left here, but let, let's just pie in the sky. Let's blue sky for just a second here. What does this look like? Uh, like you say, it's not a building. This is this is a almost a mindset that happens in a community. I, I I've not seen their Seattle operation, but I'm told that you can't go to the Amazon building. Amazon is there, it's there, it's there, it's there. Yeah, their their mentality is they just take floors and floors and floors of many, many buildings. And they don't build, they're the opposite of, say, Apple that has an institution, right? You go there and you know you're on Apple's campus. And or what uh, Nortel used to have up in Ottawa, they don't like that. They're looking for existing infrastructure. They're looking for uh, areas with lots of office towers where they can start to move their people in, where they can migrate. So there's an urban renewal component to this. Absolutely. And and not everybody would come on day one. So there is an opportunity. Uh, what a lot of people talk about now as part of our growth plans throughout the region is, is going higher, right? And we just saw that approved in Burlington yeah. recently. Yeah. And that's going to be critical to meet the requirements of the long term because we are a little bit landlocked in some areas and they do want to be in the urban centers. That's their goal. So it would end up resulting in some buildings coming down and taller, bigger buildings going up, of which they would be a tenant, not the only tenant. Exciting times uh, for a lot of communities here in the province of Ontario. Uh, you're a, you've got insider information, so you've got to stay po- keep us posted <laughs> on what's going on here. This is pretty good stuff. Uh, Steve Howes, of course, uh, from Millington and Associates, and of course sits on the board with uh, Global uh, with their bid on this, too. Thanks for coming in. Great to see you again. My pleasure. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.